Shalom and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Gad Dishi from Alon Shavut. Today we'll be studying Perek Lamed Gimel, Psukim Yud Het Tchaf, followed by Perek Lamed Dalet Aleph Til Pasuk Yud Bet. The breakdown of the Psukim are as follows. In Psukim Yud Het Tchaf, Yaakov moves to Shechem. The beginning of Perek Lamed Dalet, Psukim Aleph and Bet, is the rape of Dinah. Pasukim Gimel and Dalet is what's happening in Shechem's home. Pasuk Hay is what's happening in Yaakov's home. And then Pasukim Vav through Yudhet, uh, through Yudbet for today, are the negotiations between Shechem and the Yaakov's family. In the Jacob cycle from Michael Fishbane, we're dealing today with issues of strife. Uh, here the strife with the inhabitants of Shechem, deception of Shechem, and a covenant with a foreigner about their becoming one people if they circumcise, which parallels the our earlier passage in Perek Chavav of Yitzchak's strife with the inhabitants of Grar, the deception of Yitzchak saying his wife is his sister, and a covenant with a foreigner there, Avimelech, in order not to engage in warfare. Uh, this coming chapter in Perek Lamedalet is one that is analyzed in the seminal work of Mayor Sternberg in the book The Poetics of Biblical Narrative, and aspects of his close reading are incorporated uh, in this shiur. Pasuk Yud Het in Perek Lamed Gimel. Vayavo Yaakov Shalem Ir Shechem Asher Be'eretz Kena'an Bevo'o Mipadan Aram Ve'yihan Et Pene Ha'ir. And Yaakov came in peace to the town of Shechem, which is in the land of Kena'an, when he came from Padan Aram, and he camped before the town. The word Shalem here, Vayavo Yaakov Shalem, translated as came in peace. Yaakov here explains that Shalem means whole, that Yaakov arrived whole physically, monetarily, and spiritually. Uh, his limp was healed. The gifts he gave to Esav did not make an impact on his wealth, and he was complete in his learning of the Torah. Uh, the Ibn Ezra says that the word Shalem here means that he came safe and sound to Shechem, as opposed to what's about to happen. Uh, the Rashbam and Rav Yosef B'choshor say that Shalem is the name of the city, which was the city where Mr. Shechem was, and Shechem maybe only later became the name of the city based on what's about to happen with the story of Mr. Shechem, but it did not start out that way. So the Pasuk would read, Vayavo Yaakov Shalem, Yaakov came to the city of, Shech- of Shalem, Ir Shechem, which happened to be the city where Shechem lives. I would think that that's not the reading because it probably would have been Vayavo Yaakov Shalema, uh, Ir Shechem. Uh, I would suggest that here the word Shalem means he came with peace, peaceful intentions. It was not his goal when he first got there to start a war and have a massacre, which is later what happened. And the text is telling us that this was not part of a plan of Yaakov's desire to conquer the land. Pasuk Yutet. Vayiken et halkat hasadeh asher natasha maholo miyad b'nei hamor avishachem v'me'ah kesita. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamor, father of Shechem, for a hundred kesitas. Buying a part in Eretz Israel, David Ezra says, is tantamount to buying a portion in the world to come. Everyone should buy real estate in Israel. That's my lawyer hat. Ibn Ezra says Yaakov is striking roots for a permanent residence. Uh, he bought where he pitched his tent, but we also get a lot of other information. Firstly, that it cost him 100 kesita. Uh, it sounds like a lot, we're not sure, but uh, he's ready to financially be invested. And for Yaakov, that's significant, coming from Padan Aram. Uh, it's also a break from his being only a shepherd. Like Yitzchak, he is ready to connect to the land. Although here there's no growing of food that's recorded. It seems he only bought where they needed to live, where he pitched the tent. 
Uh, finally, we get the all-important details of the seller's identity, the sons of Hamor. Hamor was the father of Shechem. It's not clear if Shechem himself was part of that negotiations, but the family members are not strangers to Yaakov and his family. Pasukhaf. Vayatsev sham mizbeach. Vayikralo el Elohe Yisrael. And he set up an altar there and called El Elohe Yisrael. So first of all, there's a mizbeach, which is new for Yaakov. Beforehand, we saw Yaakov erect matzevot, the uh, one stone monuments. The, and we still get here the language of vayatsev, which is normally associated with the matzeva, which we saw in Yaakov's dream with the latter. And some commentators understand because of that, that this was a mizbeach comprised of a single rock. Uh, here Yaakov is partially fulfilling his neder, the vow that he took when he first left of Veshavti Veshalom El Bet Avi Hashem Li Lelokim. He didn't really wait till he got to his father's house, probably because the prophecy he got in Padan Aram was to return to the land of his father, Shuv El Eretz Avotecha Olmodatecha, not to his father himself. And then it says Vayikra Lo. The word law, some people, some Mefrashim understand it as referring to the Mizbeach, that he called the Mizbeach a name people could refer to it as, El Elohei Yisrael. However, it probably is a better translation to understand Vayikra law, and he called him, meaning God, uh, with the capital H, him, uh, he called him the God of Israel, El Elohei Yisrael, which is a fulfillment of Ayah Hashem Li Lelokim, declaring God as his God, as now he is Yisrael. And therefore, uh, he's fulfilling his uh, vow at this point. Uh, the Ibn Ezra says that Yaakov must have stayed in Shechem for quite some time so that all the ages work out because Shimon and Levi can't be little kids in the next chapter and Dina was not seven years old at the time of the rape. Keep in mind that the amount of time elapsing is not clear from the time he buys the field and the time that the rape occurs. The Abarbanel says that the interactions of Shechem with Dina are to be culled from this prelude and that both the purchase of the field and also what probably was a dedication of the Mizbeach, the Abarbanel says, are times where Shechem saw Dina and they were able to talk with each other and get to know one another uh, prior to what's about to happen in the coming chapter. Perek Lamedalid, Pasuk Aleph. Batetze Dina Batlea Asher Yaledali Yaakov Lerot Vivnot Haaretz. And Dina, Lea's daughter, whom she had born to Yaakov, went out to go seeing among the daughters of the land. The word vatetse will begin an inclusio of this section. We will begin and end with the same verb, vayetse. Chazal here saw this usage of the word as pejorative for Dina, that she was a yatsanit, she was outgoing in again, the pejorative sense, like her mother, Le'ah, and hence she's referred to here as bat Le'ah. And Le'ah had gone out to greet Yaakov, to tell him to sleep with her, because she rented him out for the night for the Dudaim, so too Dina went out in an immodest way. In contrast, the Abarbanel and the Malbim saw in Dina a very modest young lady, like Le'ah. Le'ah, who didn't want to herd the sheep with the male shepherds, and therefore only Rachel was going out to shepherd the sheep, and when she went out to go seeing, it wasn't to go see the boys of the land, it was only to see the daughters of the land, and so they preserve her modest reputation. Uh, Dina, her name we saw before did not come with an explanation. Uh, here it might be coming to the fore in the sense that her name means judgment and due to her, judgment will be meted out to the members of the city. Batlea, we mentioned one idea of her being Batlea, but we'll return to this significance of this designation later. 
Uh, again, the text tells us she went out to see the daughters of the land, the only other time we encounter this description in the Torah is when Rivka dramatically tells Yitzchak that if Yaakov marries from the Benot Aretz, the Benot Chet, she has no reason to live. And this designation now reminds us of that revulsion to this ethnic group and thus sets the tone for the repulsiveness of what's about to transpire. Pasuk Bet Vayarota Shechem ben Hamor Ahavi Nisi Haaretz Vayikachota Vayishkavota Vayaneha And Shechem, the son of Hamor the Chibite, prince of the land, saw her, took her, lay her, and abused her. He saw her, the text says, it could be for the first time, but the prelude and the Mephashim we quoted above seems to suggest otherwise. The forcible laying is related by relating to Dina as an object, Vayishkav Ota, he slept her, not Vayishkav Ima, not with her. It seems quite impulsive and violent with a forcible taking of Vayikach and Vayaneha, he abused her. We recall Lavan's concern that Yaakov not rape his daughters, which were Yaakov's wives at the time. The language there, And perhaps this rings in Yaakov's ears and layers Yaakov with some guilt and that he has failed to secure his daughter's safety while Lavan had his daughter's safety in mind. Pasuk Gimel. And his very self clung to Dina, daughter of Yaakov, and he loved the young woman, and he spoke to the young woman's heart. So the text takes a surprising twist. After the recording of the violent rape, the narrator attests that his soul clung to Dina, but to Dbak Nafsho, which recalls the ideal state of man and wife, Vidavak Beishto, Vehayule Basar Echad, that was set out in Bereshit, and then he loved her, which is a rare attestation in the Bible. We see Yitzchak loving Rivka, Yaakov loves Rachel. There are a few couples that get the love verb attested to by the narrator, and here is one of them. And he talked to her, thereby relating to her as a person and not a thing. So as Alter puts it, this information complicates the moral balance of the story. It's also an important lesson to internalize that the Tanakh does not present the all-evil villain and the pristine hero, but rather reveals real, real humans who are constantly struggling with their humanity. Pasuk Dalet. And Shechem said to Hamor, his father, saying, Take me this girl as wife. The Pasuk here has him introduce his father into the situation. There's no mention of the rape. He doesn't mention it to his father. So at this point, we don't know if he knows. What we do get is that Shechem is, is kind of pointing at Hayalda Hazot, this girl, as a wife. Whether her staying in his home, to, of Hamor's home, provides him enough of a clue about the surrounding circumstances is hard to say. In the last verse, Shechem was speaking with Dina, and now he's pointing to her. So, contra to Sternberg's major argument, these elements imply to the reader, already from now, that Dina is in Shechem's home. Is that where the rape occurred? Is that where he took her afterwards? It's not clear. Either way, Dina did not run home. Perhaps she could not. Perhaps she was convinced not to. The text does not relate how she felt towards him afterwards, but ostensibly, had she felt any feelings towards him, the text would have indicated the mutuality of Shechem's feelings. Pasuke. V'yaakov shama ki timeh et dina bito, u'banav hayu et meknehu basadeh, and Yaakov heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and his sons were with his livestock in the field, and Yaakov held his peace till they came. 
So we only now get a view of things from Yaakov's perspective, the text, by providing us with Sukim Gimel and Dalet, telling us what happened in the side of, in Shechem's home, really is trying to make up for the negative reaction to the rape. The rape happened, it was described brutally and quickly, and the aftermath of the emotional clinging and desire to marry her take twice as much space. Uh, Yaakov is silent until his sons come. Uh, the problem is that he also stays quiet even after they come. We'll get to that in a moment. And let's get a, spend a few minutes on better understanding why was it that Yaakov was silent. And for the modern ear, Yaakov's silence grates like a metal claw against a chalkboard. Uh, yeah, the, the younger generation may not know even what a chalkboard is, so let's suffice it to say that we shudder when we think about Yaakov being silent and doing nothing. Is this the Yaakov who was just named Yisrael, who successfully wrestles with mysterious divine beings? Is this the Yaakov that so valiantly limped to the rescue of his family, who devised a master plan to save his family using the decoy camp, who successfully rolls rocks off of wells single-handedly? Where is our hero Yaakov? Most classical mefrashim are themselves silent about Yaakov's silence. Uh, Yosifus says that Yaakov wanted to have opportunity to consult with his sons. And, and similarly, the Abarbanel says that it touched his soul, Naga ad nafsho, and he was quiet in order to consult with his sons. The Sforno suggests that Yaakov was quiet in order to protect his sons from the people they have grievance with. And to support this idea, we can see again in Pasuke, where Yaakov hears what happened to his daughter, and his sons were in the field. This juxtaposition of daughter to sons implies that the balance that Yaakov is weighing is their relative welfare, that of the one, versus the welfare of that of the many. Uh, Leon Cass suggests that perhaps Yaakov was astonished or feeling guilty for not being able to prevent the rape, or he was overwhelmed by sadness and unsure of what to do. And he also adds that the verse states that Yaakov heard that he defiled his daughter. Cass questions whether it is more the offense to the clan or to Dinah herself that bothers Yaakov. We see later that the personal issues become national problems, and perhaps that starts right here. So I would like to suggest just a few more reasons why Yaakov remains silent. Uh, first of all, the text takes pains to re-record that Dina is the daughter of Leah. We already learned that earlier. I think the point might be to stress that she is the daughter of the hated wife. And based on our earlier analysis of the conjugal switch, Yaakov's continuous resentment of having to spend his life with an unwanted wife spills over to her children as evinced and memorialized in their names. Dina, as the daughter of Leah, predisposes Yaakov to be silent regarding avenging her honor. Furthermore, perhaps Yaakov sees some midah, connected midah, being meted out in that Leah coerced him into a non-consensual laying, resulting in a marriage that he may not have wanted, and seems not to have wanted, and now Leah's daughter should experience the same result of Shechem's non-consensual laying of her. Another possible angle is following suit with some of the Midrashim that state that Dina had been provocative and exposed her shoulder, her Shechem, to Mr. Shechem. And again, the classical, she was asking for an argument, blaming the victim instead of the perpetrator. As pointed out above, the Malbim and the Abarbanel argue for her modesty, and given the new information from the prelude, the Shechem, that Shechem was someone the family knew and was the son of the leader of the city. Dina may have felt it was unthinkable that such an upstanding boy would do this to her. Yet another factor in Yaakov's silence is that he perhaps feels that he failed in protecting her, or that perhaps he was overprotective of his only girl in an 11-boy family, and didn't allow her to normally go out to see and hang out with other girls, 
So now she felt the need to be free, and this unsupervised, independent outing is what led to her predicament. As Yaakov blames himself, he loses his parental confidence and remains passive, something that is remaining throughout the passage. In addition, Yaakov may have had some practical concerns. If he acts harshly, he may be outnumbered and killed, as he will later err as a concern to Shimon and Levi after the massacre. Perhaps his leg was not completely healed, and he also had just bought land, and as Pasuke explicitly makes reference to his sons being with his flocks in the field, it seems that the flocks are also part of Yaakov's concern. In addition, Yaakov may feel that the rape is already a fait accompli. He can't undo it. He may feel the best thing to do now is to have the perpetrators fulfill what will later be Torah law, and which was just abolished in Lebanon three months ago, and that is that the rapists marry their victim. This would serve as a specific deterrent against Shechem performing any such abominable acts again, and would also be somewhat rehabilitative in normalizing relations within a legal married relationship, and this way Yaakov will also not be left with a defiled non-virgin daughter to marry off. Yaakov realizes also that this is not yet public knowledge, and therefore does not want to make it more of an embarrassment for Dina or for himself or for the family. Perhaps if he keeps it to an, on an only-as-need-to-know basis, the damage to reputations can be mitigated, and so he decides to remain silent. He may also realize that all he has to go on in terms of information is what the messenger told him. He has no evidence that this is true, and before taking harsh action, Yaakov wants time to verify facts. And finally, perhaps the point that tips the scales the most is that Dina is still in Shechem's house. Yaakov is faced with what he perceives and believes to be a hostage situation, and he needs to deal with the kidnapper and the rapist. Any false move, and Dina may be harmed or killed. And in light of all these factors, our perhaps initial condemnation of Yaakov's silence can now be transformed into admiring his ability to remain silent, a point which we see Yaakov is good at in so many situations, especially the conjugal switch, and we can fully appreciate the impossibly difficult situation Yaakov was facing. Pasuk Vav Hamor el Yaakov and Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Yaakov to speak with him. Here again the word Vayetzeh, but it's not the end of the section, it's still in the midst of the action. Here we have the father-to-father interaction, uh, which is what we expect to be happening, that there's going to be some type of interceding on behalf of Shechem by Hamor, and Yaakov is to speak up on behalf of Dinah, but this interaction of father-to-father will not last. Pasuk and Yaakov's sons had come in from the field when they heard, and the men were pained, and they were very incensed, for he had done a scurrilous thing in Israel by lying with Yaakov's daughter, and such a thing shall not be done. Such a thing shall not be done. Words that recall what Abimelech accused Avraham of when switching a wife for a sister. He says, but perhaps more relevant is Lavan's excuse for the conjugal switch. We don't do such things here. They're unthinkable things that you're thinking of doing. Here the brothers use this phrase and perhaps it hints to us textually at the upcoming deceit the same as Lavan's comment and Abimelech's comment, 
also dealt with a deceit. As Leon Cass points out in this pasuk, it's not exactly clear what enrages the brothers. Is it the rape itself? Or is it that someone slept with the virgin daughter of Yaakov, whether coerced or not? Was it that he was a foreigner, as opposed to her being Bat Yaakov, as the Abarbanel says? Or who is the victim? Is it Dina, their sister, who's the victim? Or is it Dina, the daughter of Yaakov? Or is it even Dina as Bat Yisrael on some national level? Their response carries multiple meanings and intentional ambiguity. At this point, the brothers are still identified as the sons of Yaakov. Important to point out, so we can pay attention to when the switch happens. Uh, we will now begin to see how Hamor and Shechem, as a father and son team, will act as a foil to Yaakov and his sons. Pasuk Het. Vaydaber Hamor itamemor. Shechem beni hashka nafsho bebitechem. Tenuna otalo leisha. And Hamor spoke with them, saying, Shechem, my son, his very self longs for your daughter. Pray, give her to him as a wife. Shechem, my son, his very self longs for your daughter. Pray, give her to him as a wife. So notice how the text now identifies the brothers. Hamor is addressing Yaakov and the brothers and says that his son is infatuated with their daughter, meaning grouping the sons and Yaakov together. In Yaakov's silence and his passivity, the brothers take on the paternal role. This is in stark contrast to Hamor, speaking on behalf of his son, to wed Dinah, and so Shechem remains Hamor's son in the description in the Pasuk. Psukim Tet and Yud. V'yitchatenu otanu, v'notechem titenu lanu, v'et benotenu tikhu lachem, v'yitanu teshevu, v'ha'arez tiyeh lefnechem, shevu uscharuha v'ha'achazu ba. And align with us by marriage. Your daughters you will give to us, and our daughters take for yourselves, and among us you will settle. And the land is before you. Settle and go about it and take holdings in it. There's no apology or mention of the rape, and neither Yaakov nor the sons ever mention it either. Again, we're not clear whether or not Hamor is in the know of what actually occurred prior. Hamor proposes a national merger. He does not promise any dowry or personal givings to entice Yaakov to agree to the wedding of Dinah to Shechem. He may just be being miserly. He may, if he really does know of the rape, feel that it's impossible to ask for the hand in marriage in such situations, uh, as opposed to what we mentioned might be local custom. And therefore he doesn't even bother asking for that particular request. As all he offers here are grand ideas of general intermarriage. Yaakov living amongst them, which he already was, and that they can do business in the land, no skin off of his back. But he does add one new economic incentive of that Yaakov can make into this land, into his achuzah, into a holding, a generational holding. And perhaps this now gives Yaakov additional reason to pause and reflect if this forced union may just be for the best. Maybe now he would become one nation with the Chivites and this way begin inheriting the land that God promised him. And Shechem said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Name me however much bride price and clan gift, I will give you what you say to me, and give me the young woman as wife. Shechem 
as opposed to Hamor is looking out for number one himself, he wants Dina, he magnanimously offers whatever it takes personally for him to personally marry Dina in particular. And we wish we could see his father's face when he was giving away the store. In tomorrow's Shior, we'll explore Bezrat Hashem how Dina's brothers respond and the bloody aftermath of the massacre of Shechem. Stay tuned.